Welcome to another episode of Horror in Session, a horror podcast where an expert and a newbie talk through all of your favorite horror movies, new and old. As always, I am one of your hosts, Reina Cervantes, and with me as always is... Kyla, I go... Wait, did I tell you that? Am I telling you this on air right now? Is that I go by Kyla? No, you told me like a year ago. (laughs) Okay, good. Okay. I don't know if we went over this, um, but we haven't... went over it in the pod so yeah hi it's kyla what's up guys yes please (laughs) welcome kyla spencer my wonderful (laughs) co-host how funny is this and no i know i you know what it's been a while it's been a long while as a matter of fact what like over a year you think yeah i'm i mean at this point in my life time goes by really weirdly but yeah, I think it's been about a year and a half or two years. Oh my god, we're really going on two years that we haven't recorded an episode. <laughs> but Reina, guess what? Guess what? What? Horror in Session is on my resume, and I do have to explain what this pod is when I do interviews. Well, shit, now you gotta actually <laughs> do this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it does. It says that it ended, like... When, when whenever we were recorded our last episode but yeah mm-hmm. it's on my resume down there and i think that's what's probably most interesting is that like it did end and it just it just kind of wouldn't weigh randomly but for our listeners out there me me and kyla reconnected and we both came to the realization that we just kind of missed it <laughs> i miss talking about horror movies yeah it's it's hard to find people to talk about horror movies with Mm -hmm. and um often when horror movies do come up in conversation i hate the way people talk about horror movies so here we are (laughs) yeah a hundred percent i mean i always felt that your perspective on horror movies was very like fresh and exciting to me like i feel like being part of the the horror community like being like so wrapped up being a writer for bloody disgusting and fangoria sometimes it feels like i'm in like an echo chamber of horror Mm -hmm. so to have someone else come in from the outside like of that community and give their perspective on horror it's like a numerous times you would say something to me and i'd be like holy shit i never thought of it that way or i never realized this because i'm in my own little world and unfortunately that world is just surrounded by horror 24 7 so I really do value your opinion when it comes to horror. Thank you. Yeah, I've learned so much from this pod and over the years, I feel like, especially even the movie we're going to talk about today, um, I view it so much differently because this is a movie that I really liked when I was first getting really, really into horror. Um, But yeah, it is fun to talk about horror movies with you because you do have this perspective where everybody's kind of on the same page. And um, outside of my conversations, I'm having these talks with people who are saying like, The Shining's not really a horror movie, though, Um, which kills me inside. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, do people actually have that opinion, like outside of the horror community that like, oh, The Shining, it's not really horror yes they do they argue that and it's supposed to be like a good thing that it's not really horror that kubrick hates horror and it was never supposed to be that i'm just like i i I don't even i don't like watch the movie that's all i have to say that's all that's my whole argument (laughs) it's based on a stephen king novel exactly like with i digress 
Well, <laughs> tell we, her. Listener. I also I have to tell you. Sorry. Um, no, go this ahead. Was a, this was a fight we had. Not a fight. This was an argument discussion I had in a film class. So that's mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> Jesus, it, it it played out like that scene from Scream Two, where it's just the most obnoxious thing ever. Exactly, exactly. Oh my God, that's my that's my um bad place. <laughs> <laughs> um, so fill our listeners in. What have you been up to this past year and a half, almost two years? Like, what what's new in the world of Kyla? Yeah. So right when we were right when we were starting to like ender pod ish i don't know if that's the right term um that's when i started film school i transferred to to chapman university to study film studies which is more on the like the film theory side i don't i don't touch production i don't like production we just watch movies read film theory and write essays um so i'm finishing up my degree in film studies next semester which is super exciting Um, And I decided to go into creative development and current programming, specifically in television. Um, So I interned with Disney this summer, which is really cool. And now I'm with Sony. Um, And yeah, it's just been a blast. I loved, I've always loved having an opinion and this job is exactly that. Uh, So it's been really fun. And I'm excited to catch up with you, Raina. What have you been up to? That's actually so impressive. I'm a, I'm actually real proud of our how far you've come. <laughs> Thank you. It's been a long journey, and and when we ended the pod, it was very necessary on both ends for our careers. I think so. Yeah, fill fill me in. Fill me in. So when our pod ended, I was actually a manager of a, of a movie theater of a Regal. <laughs> so all my time was being eaten up because I was like the one manager that was like always on duty. Um, so the pod just kind of slipped away from my hands, but, um, after about like a month or two of doing that, I actually had a job offer to go work for Netflix and their to-do editorial team. Um, so I was part of the, like the kickstart of all that. I was a writer for them for a while, did a lot of promo work for Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Unfortunately, I'm no longer with the company. Um, but in the meantime, I've just, you know, been biding my time uh, being a full time writer writing for Bloody Disgusting, where I have a new column about uh, horror video games and doing editorials periodically for Fangoria's online website. And uh, on top of that, I had even written a few pieces uh, for the Academy of all places and their uh, editorial site, A-Frame, which uh which was pretty astounding to go from Netflix to the Academy, Fangoria, Bloody Disgusting, just kind of bouncing around all over. It was it was kind of it was exciting that all these different people and publications wanted my opinions on pieces. It's it's been quite a journey. And uh, unfortunately, I had two pods as well. Uh, Those pods didn't pan out. And I think. I just came to the conclusion I just kind of needed to go back to the drawing board of like why I even wanted to do any of this in the first place. And it was honestly just to have fun with it and talk about horror with somebody whose perspective didn't match my own. Oh, no. Yeah, that's crazy. Because I remember when we were starting off with the pod and stuff, you had a few articles with bloody disgusting and fangoria and 
you had like one article with Fangoria, which was a big deal. And Mm -hmm. now here we are like years later and you're just like a frequent writer for both. You have your own column. That's crazy. I don't know. It's just been, I feel like we've advanced so much and I'm really proud of us. We're exactly where we always wanted to be. I feel like um, in our careers, because I remember you dreaming about Fangoria back then. Yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot of goals that like I really hit this year. Like another one was um, I didn't even bring this up. But when I introduced uh, Halloween three at uh, Alamo Draft House's nationwide screenings of it. And that was like I think that was the point where I like really like it clicked in my mind of like, oh, wow this is like i'm a legitimate writer people want to hear what i say about things and to go from like a few articles here and there and one on fangoria to like having like my finger in like so many different pots it's i'm thankful at the end of the day for everything and grateful for all of it and uh i i just i'm i'm in disbelief at myself every day for it yeah, I'm super excited for you and so excited that we get to do this again because I think at the end of the day, it's just we both are very passionate about just using our voice and being able to talk about things we love. Um, and that's why you're a super cool, amazing journalist. And um, I think it's just even better to be able to, to talk with somebody because writing can be so torturous. And that's why I left it. But um, I'm very happy you're sticking with it. <laughs> it, it is torturous. I mean... There are some nights I'm up until like 4 a.m. Um, writing a piece, trying to hit a deadline because, I mean, I'll write it ahead of time, but I'm such a perfectionist that I'm like, oh, I need to like probably write a whole nother draft of this. And I felt like uh, that one lady in Babylon on the typewriter where it's like, like typing away all night. But, you know, I don't think I would I don't think I'd give it up for anything in the world. I mean. You, you couldn't pay me to go back to working at the movie theater. <laughs> no, no, not for how good of a writer you are. So, yeah. <laughs> but um, it, it, it is it is good to be back. I mean, I've, I feel like I really I really needed this. <laughs> and I feel like everything is a little bit recalibrated in our minds of like why why we even did this pot in the first place. Yeah. To talk about awesome fucking movies <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and we do we do have this unique slate of films coming up i won't say what it is just yet but uh why, why don't you go ahead and introduce today's movie the film we're going to be talking about today is hereditary written and directed by ari aster released on june 8th 2018 the film stars tony collette alex wolf millie shapiro and dowd and gabriel byrne and it follows a family grieving death that begins to experience tragic and haunting occurrences that are unexplained. It was A24's highest grossing film until June 2022, when it was surpassed by Everything Everywhere All at Once. The film currently sits at a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes and is widely hailed as one of A24's best horror films. Come on, Peter. Yes, you're soon. It's heartening to see so many strange new faces here today. I know my mom would be very touched and probably a little suspicious. 
My mother was a very secretive and private woman. It's grandma. You know you were her favorite, right? Even when you were a little baby, she wouldn't let me feed you because she needed to feed you. She was a very difficult woman, which maybe explains me. I recognize you from your mother. What? Sometimes I swear I can feel them in the room. So, uh, Kyla, um, I don't even know where to begin with this movie in particular. <laughs> I will, I, I guess I should start out by telling you all that this was one of my favorite films ever. It was in my letterbox top four. And I never, and I don't switch that around. I'm not the type to switch my top four around on the monthly. It was in my favorite top four. It was something that was part of my personality um, at the time. Because I saw this movie and I felt like lives had been changed. I'd never seen a director that spoke to me so much in the way that he frames everything and that it's so meticulous. Um, and it's I've taken a step back from it, not for any reason, but it was just so hype at the time that I really liked it. And then I kind of got into Midsummer, and then I just haven't watched it in a while. So yeah, it's it's honestly crazy to be talking about it right now. I I haven't spoke about this film in so long, even though I used to talk about it so much. <laughs> I feel like this was a movie we always said we recover, but just never got around to it. Yeah, exactly. And I I feel really weird talking about it. I just have I loved I really I can't believe how much I loved this movie at the time when it came out. Did you love it as much as me or like what what's up? <laughs> uh I had a bad experience the first time I saw this movie. Um oh, No. I uh, you know, I think I've said this on other podcasts before that uh I saw this movie on mushrooms. Oh, and, oh my god like microdosing or just like regular or like no, like like aiden edible did not realize it had mushrooms in it bad oh my god yeah so i hung out with my friend and you know at the time we were doing a lot of edibles so we would eat like bigger edibles so it would have an effect um so I got this edible that I won't say how, but I managed to get it and didn't quite know what was in it. And we were going to go to an AMC crew screening of this where because at AMC, we would screen the movie like a night or two before it opened. We would screen it just for the crew and like at work too, Raina. Oh, my God. yeah, not my <laughs> proudest moment. So we took the edible and about an hour later, it kicks in and it kicks in hard and I'm talking like, oh, this edible ain't shit. And then somebody smacks a frying pan against your head hard. Um, and, you know, somehow we managed to get to the theater and sat there and watched this movie like at midnight when the content unlocked. And uh, yeah, it's one of those movies that when you watch on an edible, you kind of spiral. Yeah. Holy crap. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was one of those like very haunting experiences that I felt like I needed to like shower in holy water once I was done watching it. Um, do not recommend watching it on shrooms, but I did go see it about a day or two later um, by myself, like at like 10 o'clock in the morning and absolutely fell in love with it. Oh, my um, God. 
it was a it was a very interesting take on the horror genre in that it was like almost more of a family drama yeah that's exactly Uh, why i like it like did you ever see that film from the 1980s uh ordinary people no okay i'm gonna google this one okay wait what is this ordinary people movie i've never even heard of this title so that movie is a movie as well, a family drama about a grieving family after the death of like one of their sons. And I feel like Hereditary was almost like a horror spin on it. Like, sure, it has like Satanism and black magic, but everything takes a back seat to the true horror of like family drama. Interesting. OK, so Ordinary People is not even a horror movie. No, no, not okay. at all. Not at all. A drama and a very good drama, I'll say. I'll say that's that's a movie I kind of grew up watching and going like, man, this is like one of the most fucked up things I've ever seen. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, no, this I think. Yeah, I liked this because the trailer I was I was talking to you about the trailer before we started recording. And I just thought that the trailer made it look like it was a jump, scary, cheap horror film. Um, Mm -hmm. It's kind of like with with Mother where it where it thinks it looks like something and it is something completely different. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I came into this with really, really low expectations and I walked out feeling, feeling like, I don't know, I had a new perspective, especially because I have a lot of generational trauma. And so I heavily related to um, the family in this film and the grandmother um, cause I, I, I have a similar tumultuous relationship with my grandmother and, um, aunts and uncles as well on my mom's side. So I was like, Ari Aster is looking into my life and just making movies out of it. Cause Midsummer also related to me in that way as well. I was like, I, he needs to pay me or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, going back to what you said about how you thought this was going to be like a jump, like jump scare filled, like you know, like Blumhouse type movie, let's say, for lack of better term. Um, I know. I was thinking exactly that. I was thinking exactly that term. And I didn't want, I felt like it was mean. So I, I kept it in. But that's exactly what I was thinking. Or 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 like a Conjuring type, like one of those like yeah. mainstream horror movies where like they get by on jump scares. Mm-hmm. And that's interesting that you bring that up because I feel like that was like kind of A24's MO at the time. Because they had movies like The Witch and it comes at night where it's like, oh, they're marketed as like traditional horror films. But the moment you sit down and watch them, you're like, oh, this ain't that at all. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think think that was in a time when they were really coming up as a distribution company. Um, Like we talked about how this was came right before everything everywhere all at once in top highest grossing a24 films i just in my head was like are you how is it really hereditary like is it not ladybird and ladybird was number three and it came out in 2017 so i felt like that also had to do with oh ladybird and moonlight are really popular and came before it and maybe at that point people were starting to go see movies like hereditary because it came from a24 possibly i don't know what do you think I think this is probably where they like started to become like part of the like pop culture, like zeitgeist of like film lovers of like 
this is around the era when you started to see like film students walk around with a24 shirts on and and i had a housemate at the time that like loved this movie so much he would just buy like any a24 movie like on blu-ray like Mm -hmm. and they were and like he would have a competition of with one of my other friends of like who could own the most a24 movies like yeah i feel like it was around this era that like it really like hit the mainstream and and a lot of the public like hated this movie i remember like working like the box office at amc at the time and like people would come out of it and go like that movie sucked because i do think like the marketing like did not sell like what this movie actually was yeah definitely and now that a24 has come into themselves it's like x they just mark like it's a weird ass movie and they market it like it is a weird ass movie and people eat that up um Mm -hmm. so yeah i think that's interesting that we're comparing the two and how and i don't know audience audience perception has changed with time and the way they market things well it's it's they definitely know how to like market their own movies now i mean look at like everything everywhere all at once for example that movie was marketed like exactly what that movie was like there were no surprises going into that movie like what you saw is what you got and i think that speaks to the power of like the reputation they built up for themselves over the years like like think about it 2018 was like it doesn't seem like it was that long ago but it was four years ago like that's a whole high school or college career yeah it it, it is pretty crazy because i graduated high school in 2017 so that was like a year after i graduated high school mm-hmm. and now i'm well i'm graduating college late but now i'm graduating college and yeah it's it's interesting i'm a, such a big nerd about marketing um for some reason and the the way like especially after thinking about mother and that trailer and then watching that film um i don't know well i was gonna say something and i forgot what i was gonna say (laughs) um but wait it was on the tip of my tongue and it was something important (laughs) it'll come to you (laughs) it'll come to me okay so yes the marketing was weird for this movie i don't think they had really quite nailed down the marketing of a24 films just yet especially ones that were like going mainstream like this is like one that had a worldwide release i think at the time it was like the one that a24 put in the most theaters like it's weird like yeah around this era like working at the movie theater like you would they would really pick and choose of like how their films would be distributed whereas like hereditary it was like oh yeah that's like going to like every location whereas something like a couple months later like mid 90s i think only like two theaters in the greater phoenix area got it but everybody got hereditary was that when mid 90s came out uh pause one second let me that was mid 90s and the favorite mid 90s <gasps> came out in 2018 and the favorite the favorite is not a 24 well yeah but i'm just saying like that that era i'm just yeah. like i'm having mm-hmm. i'm i'm having a flashback of that era and wow what a time and you know what talking about talking about like you know time uh, that was one big thing for me while i was watching this film and thinking looking at how they portrayed teen or 
Ari Aster portrayed teenagers and parties, mm-hmm. it felt dated. Like you would, I, I don't think a director would portray a party or teenagers like that today because it was before the TikTok era. So, I mean, he had somebody chopping up pecans at a party. Like, yeah, I, that's true. I, I, I don't think the teenagers necessarily were like the focal point of the movie, which is strange because like Alex Wolf is like one of the leads in this movie, but it's yeah. less about teenage life and more of like that, like nuclear family dynamic of like a mother, a father, a son and a daughter. It's, it's essentially about the disillusion of like the nuclear family and like everything that you hold sacred about it. Interesting. I I did I don't get that reading or I don't knock at that reading. I mm-hmm. see your reading and I have a different reading. Um just because I think I pull from my own life and I think that for me I read it as a film that um dives into generational trauma and mm-hmm. what happens when it goes unchecked and invests mm-hmm. itself into the next generation interesting i like that reading too that i know i really do that's a really good reading um i think hereditary is like one of these movies that's like it's so fully loaded and like dense and like like thematically rich that like you can walk away with like any number of readings like like just now it's like oh well i didn't get that reading but shit i don't not see that reading at the same time Mm -hmm. um I, I, I guess we should lead into like, do you, do you have like a favorite element or like a favorite scene of this movie that like really, really stands out to you? Yeah, I mean, there's so many obvious obvious ones like the monologue at the dinner table or mm-hmm. Alex's Alex Wolf's haunting performance when he bangs his head into the desk. Um, or even like the whole last half, but mm-hmm. I think watching it now, um, I don't know when I watched it first in theaters, I had, I started crying because of, I was so afraid of it. And I was just getting into horror films and I thought it was really scary. It is a really scary film. Um, but I don't find it scary anymore. And so now my favorite thing that I liked when I rewatched it was, um, Tony Collette. What is her name in the movie? Does she have a name? <laughs> she does have a name, right? <laughs> she does have a name. We can edit this out. Uh, let me. No, I kind of like that. <laughs> I might keep this. <laughs> okay, shit. You're the editor. I'll let you keep whatever you want. Um, her character's name is. Hold on, I'll have it in a split second. I should have been a little bit more prepared. Her character's name is Annie. Annie. Yes, we have it in the in the beginning. I should have known that. Annie, when Annie is at her first meeting, um, the group therapy session, and she raises her hand to introduce herself, and she talks about her trauma, and she looks around at everybody at this um, like lost a loved one therapy group therapy session, and everybody's looking at her like she's fucking crazy. I mm-hmm. love that scene because um, I think it's hard because everybody has different different types of 
generational trauma and different trauma. And yeah, it's, it's, can feel so lonely when you have so many things happen to you where it's like, where, where do I even turn? And that's what I see in her performance, in her face, in the way she carries herself throughout this film and why it goes all to shit is because she, she has nowhere to turn. Um, and that's what she says, like in her monologue is like, I want to lean on my family, but I don't even think they can help me. So yeah, that was, that really stuck out to me and it carried the way I felt about the film throughout me watching it. I think it goes without saying that like we cannot praise like Tony Collette enough for this movie. The movie Mm -hmm. like hinges entirely on her performance and the way she conveys emotion. It's like before this movie, Tony Collette was like mostly known for like more comedic roles or like stuff like about a boy or her brief like performance in the sixth sense. But here she like really delivers a performance that she like proves to the world that she's she's a dynamic like powerhouse of an actress to see her in something like this. And then the very next year she does Knives Out, which is like mm-hmm. a total 180 of a role for her. It it goes to show the strengths of not only the script, because let's be honest, a good movie starts with a good script first and foremost, mm-hmm. but she's the one to bring those words, those emotions back to life. And she nails every single thing she delivers in this movie, whether it's somebody who's grieving, somebody who's manic, somebody who's displaced. She sells the entire movie. I don't, I almost don't think it would have worked without her performance in it. I don't think so. And four years Revisiting this movie four years later, I do see how this is Ari Aster's first big feature, and I do see inconsistencies with it and think that there are some holes um, and it feels like it it leans on horror and scares, or I feel like that now about it in a way I didn't feel about it when I first saw it, but I think after loving Midsummer so much and um, being all about that, um, and now comparing my love for the two, I don't, Midsummer doesn't feel like it hinges on its horror. I feel like it focuses more on characters and themes. And this one is strongest, hereditary is strongest when it focuses on the characters and themes. And then um, if it falls flatter for me when it feels like it's being trying to be too creepy, which I saw when revisiting it i don't know if you saw the same thing as me i don't i don't know why i'm so jaded now (laughs) i think it's because midsummer really like had those horrific moments without being like traditionally like spooky like you Mm -hmm. don't have a scene in midsummer where like somebody's like hanging on the corner walls of a room like everything in midsummer is horrific by nature of it yeah. Whereas Midsummer, it's like, oh, everything's shrouded in darkness and spooky. It's it's more of a traditional horror film than Midsummer is. Yeah, and I don't mind the the hiding in the walls and I love the I love the second half. I love the climactic I love that whole part. Um mm-hmm. I think building up to it I felt like it was annoying that they were just trying to show me make it amp up the creepiness. Because I was, I would be really in tune with the emotional moments and get taken out by 
feeling like, oh, let's let's be creepy right now. Um, but that's just my jaded opinion. I don't know why. Um, yeah, I don't know. I want to know what you think about because it's been a while for you too, probably to think about this film because I don't know it kind of faded away from conversation after Midsummer. it kind of took hold I felt this movie after revisiting it for so long I felt a little bit jaded after revisiting it because it mm. feels like one of those movies like the Babadook where it's like oh this like kind of like is the movie you think of when you hear the term elevated horror yeah and I think it causes like a certain amount of discourse around it of like, well, this isn't like those other horror movies. And it's like at the end of the day, like you can say like stuff that it's a family drama all you want, but it's still a horror film at the end of the day. Like, I'm sure this is like a movie that like groups of teenagers still throw on on like a Friday night to like mm-hmm. be scared like it's it's it felt like a movie that was such like not intentionally i don't think not intentionally like highbrow that like people started like punching down on other horror movies because something like this existed yeah i didn't think about that but you're so right i hate that i think it's so silly to me because if you think about that in terms of other genres just mm-hmm. like you wouldn't say this is like an elevated dra- drama or an mm-hmm. elevated romance. Um, and you can have good and bad drama movies. We're not ca- going to call the good one elevated. Not the good because, I mean, it's not good versus bad. It's just like, I don't know, artistically driven versus commercially driven. I'm not like- sure. Like, you can just picture somebody walking around a film school, like, the same people that say The Shining isn't a horror film, going like, mm-hmm. oh, I don't like horror movies, but I love Hereditary, but that's not a horror in my mind. And it's like, shut exactly. the fuck up. That, like, genuinely is a horror movie. <laughs> yeah, no, totally that, totally that. It's so hard to argue with them, and I don't, I just don't know what the problem is mm-hmm. with horror, you know? and and guess what and look and look at the box office receipts today look at that sir i would i would challenge you to look at the box office receipts and look at the top top grossing movies of this year and the most talked about were horror films so i think that's funny um it's yeah it's odd because this felt like it kick-started that like era of horror where it's like everything needs to be about like some form of trauma or have like some deeper meaning That's true. and Relic like too like came out in 2019 and stuff mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah it felt like we got like a lot of those movies where it's like oh well we're not like those other horror movies and it barely feels like we're getting out of like the cusp of that mm-hmm. because now we're getting films like malignant and barbarian and x that like aren't like i don't want to use the word pretentious because i hate that fucking word but the way people view some a24 movies is pretty pretentious yeah yeah i don't know i think i think ari i'm not ari is very stylistic and Mm -hmm. um I'm not sure what I don't know. Yeah, I do I do love the fun 
can't be horror too that's why um but I don't know if the stylistic makes him look like a better director and writer because I think he has I think he he needs he needs work as well I don't know what do you think of the writing of this film I like it. I find Ari Aster to be a very well-prepared filmmaker. Like, I heard something ridiculous of, like, he had a 75-page, like, shot list for this movie alone. Like, before they even had locations scouted. And to me, like, that... You see, like, those kind of habits carry over to the screenplay. Like, Mm -hmm. full disclosure, before this movie came out, I had actually read the screenplay because it was going around in like film circles and I had gotten my hands on it and it is like like it feels like a script that like nine or ten drafts of it were written and wow okay and I think it carries over to the way he directs and like blocks a scene yeah like you you catch my drift of what I'm saying like everything feels like super meticulous and like placed there for a reason Mm -hmm. and the way the screenplay plays out, the way the characters are written, the motivations, the scenes, the pacing, everything it you, you do feel like he's a very like well-prepared director. Um, Personally, I like him. I like what he says about like family and Mm -hmm. whatnot in this movie. And I love what he said about midsummer with like relationship nonsense. Mm -hmm. Um, that's that's for another episode or like story (laughs) (laughs) or whatnot so i won't dive into that but um long story short i i love ari aster's screenplays for a variety of reasons um what did you think yeah i i would i i'm so silly i bought the screenplay book because i was so excited when it came out from a24 and i'm one of those silly silly posers who bought it and hasn't read it but i think it looks really pretty in my room Anyways, but moving on, I'm going to read it now that you say that. I I also do like the reading because the dialogue is really great and the characters are really great. Um, but as I was saying before with like the scares and stuff, um, I, sometimes I was, I guess, watching this, rewatching this, I was confused. I was confused at some point points, like mm-hmm. what the perspective of um, Charlie, Charlie's mm-hmm. the, Charlie's the girl charlie Mm -hmm. like what her perspective was um so there was some points where it was like oh this is his first feature i guess where that's what i thought about some of the stuff that i felt was left unanswered for me like charlie's perspective and more some of the grandma's like the lore behind grandma and what she means to the family not like what she means or um what her being in the cult means to the family symbolically I guess. I I wouldn't incline to agree. Um I I don't I hmm that's interesting that you say it reads like a first screenplay because because I mean Not I can like a see first screenplay, it. but it's his first big feature and you know mm-hmm. it is, right? Like so Yeah, you don't yeah. like the freshman movie everybody's showing off. It's the mm-hmm. sophomore feature after that everybody comes into the their own style. Mm-hmm. You even see it, people with like Jordan Peele, like yeah. Get Out is like really good, really tight screenplay, pretty good filming, and then Us, the follow up, mm-hmm. is the one where it's like, oh, he's Let's really come. 
yeah, like he's coming into like his own style, like yeah. of who he is as a filmmaker. And the same for Ari Aster with mm-hmm. Hereditary and Midsummer. Um, I I like that you brought up uh, Charlie's perspective on things because in in a way like I, I don't know if this is because i'm trans or not but like i almost pick up like a body dysphoria like theme throughout mm. this movie of like oh like we're talking spoilers like you know everybody's seen this movie now <laughs> but like of the idea that like this male king payment yeah. is in this like weak frail female body um and is like yearning to come out mm and be in a proper body it was an interesting like it like i know i'm saying the word interesting so goddamn much but i really do think it's interesting that (laughs) that a body dysphoria theme would be like kind of hidden throughout this movie and like sometimes feeling like a prisoner in your own body yeah i love that i love that you took that from this movie so in the beginning with Charlie, mm-hmm. is she Charlie or is she Payman or she's a little bit of both? See, that's what I think is fascinating about the movie is that it's up to the audience to decide that for themselves. Like, mm-hmm. what did you think personally? I don't. I felt, I felt like she was Charlie, and I felt like, I felt like she was persuaded by her grandmother because they have such a close-knit relationship and that maybe goes to the like um generational trauma themes of um that she would go down this tumultuous path um mental health path because she was very close with her grandmother who as um annie says stuck her hooks in charlie um so yeah but i was also just very confused because then she was like she was like very demonic at times and I knew that the demon was close by, but I didn't feel like the demon was inside of her um, as a viewer. So I was, I just wasn't really sure. Mm, Okay. Okay. I think maybe what, what I got is that maybe, maybe Charlie is unaware of like, Mm -hmm. there's always that reading of like, Oh, like, you know again taking from personal experience of being a trans woman of like i was unaware at first mm-hmm. of like what was wrong with me of what i was really feeling inside and i had to like come to terms with that myself over the years mm-hmm. so it could also be a reading of like well charlie is payment the whole time she just doesn't know it mm. yeah i like that I do like that. Um, it makes like reading it like that makes the movie make more sense. And in fact, it kind of plays more into the ending where like payment is in like Alex Wolf's body at the end. Mm-hmm. And it's like in the quote unquote right body. Finally. Yeah. The rightful place to call home. Hmm. That's just my read of it. It could be like any number of things. Like like I said, this movie is like thematically like deep and rich that I, I don't I don't think any reading of this film is inaccurate. No, I like your reading though. That's very interesting. I 
I I just thought I I thought some at some points it was confusing, mm-hmm. um, but no, that's really interesting about Charlie being unaware because that's kind of the performance Millie gives mm-hmm. of that this is happening to her, but she's she's unaware. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, then and then and then I mean Annie, Annie is just. Annie's and I I'll say this because my parents will never listen to this, but my mom is exactly like Annie, and that's why it is it was so it, this movie struck me so much, um, because it's just hard I don't know these very hyper independent people who go through so much and they don't know how to reach out. And that manifests into um, mental illness that they never unpack in a healthy way because they think that they're fine because they've always handled things on their own. Um, Yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's really well written. I'm like, I hope you're okay, Ari Aster. (laughs) Because, wow. Annie is such a fascinating character because I think she's almost the embodiment of divine intervention. Mm. Now this is where we're going to get a little like faith based. In the, okay. in the conversation. Okay. Uh, she talks about like throughout the film. Of like attempting to kill her kids. Like while she's sleepwalking. Mm-hmm. Or like never wanting to be pregnant. And then you have the scene where like. She like nearly lights Alex Wolf's character on fire. Like in his mm-hmm. sleep. It's almost in a way like could be reading of like. Oh that's like god getting in her mind to like kill her kids to save them from like the horrible fate that awaits them it's almost like mm. a biblical sacrifice okay okay wait what horrible fate what are you talking about like the the fate with like payment trying to like take over their bodies oh so she's just okay so she's trying to intervene in that ever happening yes Mm, mm. And yeah it's like, okay I, okay i could get i could see that i could see that and it's like almost this like twisted like because there's a lot of like twisted views on like religion in this film so in a way it's almost like ari aster like snickering and having like a twisted view of like divine intervention of like oh god playing in a hand in things in a way that's interesting i i always i i always saw it as um this like empathetic view on motherhood and how not this like very feminist view of like not everybody not every woman wants to be a mother and mm-hmm. you know we're grown into the society that says that we're supposed to want to be a mother and that everybody every all, everybody you know wants children and has children and like that's just what you're supposed to do in life but mm-hmm. you know um not everybody wants to do that but i feel like it's hard to admit that in this society so that's what I was reading from Annie, which kind of reminded me of The Lost Daughter, um, which I which um, I just wrote an essay on um, about, you know, um, I, just motherhood and not, I don't know, we're sold this, we're sold this package of like, motherhood is the greatest thing you could ever, you could ever experience. And it's just, that's just not true for everybody. And that's okay. <laughs> that that's a great reading i actually 
I actually really love that too. See, I'm over here like, oh, faith, like good, evil, and whatnot. And, and you're over here with the, no, yeah, motherhood. It's not for everybody. <laughs> 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 no, but that's that's good. It like it proves my point of like Jesus, like this movie is like a puzzle box that like yeah. you spin it one way and mm -hmm. it spins another way for you of like, oh God, like how did I not pick up on like on these things? Which I guess is the great, why it is great that it is so open-ended um, because you can sit here and pick apart this movie frame by frame and find so much meaning and symbolism. Um, and that's, that's why I loved it in the first place. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah. I. Jesus. My mind is right, racing like a thousand miles <laughs> a minute about this movie now. I also. Okay. This is a, this is a read. that That's always been something I've read. But this is a read that I got from this watch. Was the nuances of healing through art. And, okay. you know, like Annie uses art to heal, but at some point she completely abandons it, destroys everything. And, mm. and I don't know. It just, it made me think about how, I don't know. I don't know. It made me think about how art isn't always, maybe isn't always the place to heal yeah no a thousand percent sometimes art can can make you miserable and and yeah. rightfully so like if that's like the artist's intent like feelings are conveyed through art that the artists create and it's like whatever you take away from that is like what your personal reading of it is but it doesn't mm -hmm. always have to be good like not every movie has to be that warm blanket of comfort Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that art art can sometimes be an excuse to an excuse to heal and mm. not an and when annie should have been you know letting people in mm -hmm. i'm not sure i don't know i thought it was interesting the way he portrayed that storyline for annie thousand percent agree thousand thousand percent agree it's always interesting that like this movie is like so motherly focused and like Ari Aster is this uh, cis man yeah 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 it's it is a very feminist film mm -hmm. I don't know it's hard it's hard because I've been thinking I read read and talk about feminist film theory and have some comparisons like we compared like Frances Ha which is directed by a man written by a woman to like Happening which came out last year about abortion and the perspective um how that there's like a differing perspective in how they portray the main female protagonist um, so now I'm just like, now that you say that about this movie, I'm thinking about how he portrayed um, Annie and also now how he's, he portrayed Danny and thinking about that gaze which from which he portrayed it. And, and yeah, I mean, holds up pretty well for 
it's this man he said <laughs> it's always it, it it plays out that like you feel like an outsider looking in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at least that's what i get from it no yeah well, well do you also feel like really connected with the main character because that's what that's what i feel I don't feel connected with Annie at all, but it's, oh. I feel like it's like I'm not a mother. I don't have such generational trauma as that, which. But do you feel fun. connected in the way he frames it, frames the film? Like, do you feel like the film tries to connect you with her point of view? No, I always feel like no. that outsider looking in on it. Um, I connected far more with Danny in Midsummer. But I think it, it's more of like personal experience of like while why you would connect more with one rather mm-hmm. than the other. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And the interesting part about Midsummer versus Hereditary, I think, is that Midsummer follows Danny, um, like pretty much almost only follows Danny. There are some mm-hmm. parts where it's not in her perspective, but. Um, hereditary breaks off into um, Peter's perspective as well. So, yeah, such a great movie. What a good, what a good duo. Um, <laughs> do you want to hear some facts before we get out of here? Of course, I need to know the facts. Okay, here are a couple facts that I pulled. There were quite a bit, but and these are the ones I found most interesting. Um, Tony Collette had told her agent she didn't want to do any more heavy dark films. And only wanted to do comedies, but she loved the hereditary script so much she couldn't turn it down. Wow. Okay. So wow. already, right off the bat, that first screenplay, like so meticulously well put together, it fully convinced Tony Collette to get on board. Interesting. Um, did he offer her the part or did she audition? No, I believe he offered her the part. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I could see that. With Hereditary, Ari Aster wanted to, quote, make a film about suffering that took suffering seriously. Mmm. Mmm. I like that. That is, that is a pretty good one. Oh. Many uh, of the cast and crew view the film as a family drama more than a horror film. Yeah. Slay. <laughs> which, which I think adds fuel to that fire of like, oh, well, like, Hereditary is not a horror film. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I don't know, though. It's like, huh. just, just say your movie's a horror film. Like, embrace it. And it will be embraced back. Yeah. That's, that's just what I think. Yeah, I didn't think about that. I mean, because I guess, I guess watching this, I the fact that I just loved all the family drama so much, but that the fact that it was that it was portrayed through a horror film was the what why it's so good. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so I guess yeah, that's not very accurate. That's just for, a drama. <laughs> and then the final fact I have for you is for Ari Aster, the film itself is a running metaphor for family trauma and grief. It is operating all the way through, and at the end, the movie is still about how trauma can utterly transform a person, and not necessarily for the better. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. I see. That, like, that really plays into the ending with a 
Payment taking over Alex Wolf's body. Yeah, and like Annie's like downfall. Yeah, literally <laughs> sawing her own head off. Um, but yeah, those are all the facts I have for you. Um, we're not one usually for reviews, but go ahead, shoot um hereditary score out of ten. Oh my goodness! I logged this in Letterbox and I changed it from, I changed it from a five to a three point five. Oh, I was literally about to say I was gonna give it like a three point five out of five. Well, there you have it. That, that, <laughs> that equates to about a seven out of ten. That's great. That's amazing. That's good. That's great. You know, movies that are sevens are are fine. They're good. They're fun. Like, you yeah. know, we the world needs more seven movies. Not every movie has to be a ten out of ten. Um, also, Go that on. doesn't negate from this being a five out of five movie when you first watch it. Mm-hmm. If you don't know anything about the plot. Mm-hmm. Besides, Ari Aster would fulfill the five out of five prophecy with Midsummer, his very next film. Yeah, I watch that movie every single time. It, yeah, I have to watch it all the way through, and I'm just hooked. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll cover that one of these days. Um, but we'll cover that. Like we have. No, uh, I'm crazy. Uh, mm-hmm. You know what? We might have on folk horror. Yes, we did. We hundred no. Yeah, we hundred percent did. We did, and that's when we watched. Um, what is that movie? The Witcher. The, the Wicker Man. Man. The Wicker Man. And I love that song so much. Well, you could definitely tell that I was a little rusty this episode because I didn't even <laughs> remember that. <laughs> That's okay. I think it's more fun when we're rusty. Yeah, we'll get back into the groove of things. Um, and on that note, Kyla, you got anything you want to promote or where people can find you online? Just anything you're excited about in life? Not currently um i'm just i'm just excited about graduating soon and i am working on thinking about what i want to do about social media right now so you go reina <laughs> you can find my work being published pretty regularly at bloodydisgusting.com and fangoria.com um i have a social media it's at jfc and doomblade on like literally everything i managed to get the handle on all um, so if you care to see my thoughts on any and everything, go ahead and follow me there. You can also follow the pod at Horror In Session on Twitter. And you can find us on Apple and Spotify Podcasts. Um, please like and leave a review. Let us know how we did. Um, we'll, we'll be around more often. I, yeah. I think so. This, th- this We're was working good. on plans. We're working on schedules. We're working. <laughs> yeah, we'll make it work. We'll make it work. It'll, it'll, it'll be, it'll be fun. I, I look forward to the future of this pod. Yeah, I just want to say before we go, I think this is the most in-depth conversation we've had about any of the movies we've ever talked about. Honestly, <laughs> I was oddly thinking that too because like. <laughs> We were just jumping back and forth with, like, themes and readings. I dig it. I love this new fucking format. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, too. I've, I feel so awakened by 
you know, hearing your themes and then, you know, cross-referencing with my themes. And um, yeah, I I was feeling pretty mid about this film when I was rewatching it, as I was, you know, saying throughout this whole episode. But after talking through it with you, I feel so much better about it. I feel I look at back at this movie with the same fondness again. So love that. Love, love this conversation. <laughs> Hell yes. So I think I'm going to call class here and say this has been your horror session of the day. See you guys next time.